everyone. Welcome to another episode of Foot in the Door. Hi, Jason. I'll hand over to you for our intro. Awesome. Thank you. Welcome to this podcast. If you didn't know, Foot in the Door is a podcast geared towards educating young people on finding their career path. Um, and each, each episode, we interview a special guest from a particular field. Uh, that you might be interested in and hopefully that sets you on a journey where you're able to study and find out uh, what you want to do uh, in your career. And today uh, we're having uh, our human rights expert Tamara Dancheva will be talking to us um, about her broad experience in human rights. Tamara, can I please hand over to you for you to tell us a bit more about that and about yourself too. Thank you so much. Uh, it's a pleasure to actually feature on, on this special series. Um, so my background is uh, quite diverse. Um, I've been in human rights for the past eight years now, um, and it's not something I should say I initially considered um, doing. Um, but you know, it, it, the circumstances were right, of course, and, and, and I've always had passion for, for human rights. Um, and I initially began um, in uh, well, my, let's say, more professional experience so with Libro International, uh, where I helped establish um, the human rights program of the organization. Libro International is actually quite a unique organization because it brings liberal parties from around the world together. So it's not really a human rights uh, non-profit organization as, as such. Um, so through, through Libro International, I was able to actually drive a, a number of human rights initiatives. Um, and the majority of my work experience is actually in women's rights. Um, and I've also, of course, worked on LGBT rights, um, R2P, responsibility to protect, uh, and, and freedom of belief. But the majority of, of the experience I've acquired up until now, including in my in my current position, uh, which is which is with GSMA now, uh, is women's rights. Amazing. Brilliant. Nice. Uh, I guess um, we'll hop on to the questions mm-hmm. so that we can, uh, so that our listeners mm-hmm. can um, find out about you know human rights and what path they need to take. Um, which leads me to my first question. Mm-hmm. You know, working in human rights, it's such a vast sector. Mm-hmm. Um, what route would you recommend uh, a young person should take if they wanted to, for example, work for the United Nations mm-hmm. or you know a big human rights um, mm-hmm. NGO, for example? So I think the first thing which I find is crucial is, is to determine what area you're most passionate about because human rights is vast, right? There are a number of issues um, you know, that, that, that always come up and I think it is crucial that uh, you match your passion with your skills, right? So uh, again, I mean, I find personally, especially as a woman, that, that women's rights appeal to me most. Uh, and that helped me in turn tailor my career path in a way that allowed me to land in the position to where I'm now and I'm able to actually work you know, mainly on, on women's rights. So that's number one. I think it's really important to ask yourself the right questions in terms of what really appeals to me and, and why do I want to get into human rights in the first place? Did something happen? Do I have some personal experience that drove me to this? And if so, what, what area would I like to explore? And then, of course, secondly, I don't think we should consider just 
the UN or, or big organizations, human rights is everywhere. I mean, you can work on human rights uh, in the private sector, right? Um, we see that corporate social responsibility is a topic that comes up times and times again, and it's incredibly important because businesses play an important role, much like governments, much like civil society and individual citizens. So I think it's really important that um, you know young people are open-minded when it comes to various opportunities. Um, and then, of course, uh, it's also important to consider volunteering. That is usually the best way to get your foot in the door mm-hmm. uh, because at the end of the day, no one will say no to extra help, especially when this extra help is, of course, provided free of charge, right? Because most of the time businesses or organizations are reluctant to hire young people precisely because they lack experience. And uh, in my case, this was this was also very true. So I started with um, two unpaid internships. Uh, one was uh, with the European um, Union. So I interned with the European Anti-Fraud Office. Um, and subsequently, after I concluded my master's, I did an internship with the United Nations in New York. Um, so I think it's important to also consider, you know, are there any volunteering opportunities in your community? Can you perhaps, uh, you know, look out for for those to begin with, so that you meet the right people. And that brings me to my third point. Uh, you know, knowing the right people is perhaps the most important thing, because very often you may not be aware of opportunities until you meet the right people, simply because those opportunities are not advertised. And so I think it's really important to start building the right network early on, um, you know, get out there, go to relevant events, talk to people, utilize LinkedIn. I cannot emphasize the importance of this and make sure that you also, you know, reach out to people with the right mindset. No one wants to hear that you look for a job, right? But they want to hear what you're passionate about, what you're interested in and what is the added value you bring, right? So if you have an idea, share an article, you know, or share a thought and and, and that's how you build, build the conversation. Speaking of um, things to do early on in preparation for that career, what would you recommend that someone study to make in order to make human rights their line of work? And in relation to yourself, what did you study to get into this line of work? So actually, I didn't do a human rights degree. That might come as a shock, but that wasn't the case with me. And I find that um, the professionals I've met, at least so far, most of them don't have human rights degrees. Unless you want to practice law, I don't think it's necessary. I don't think that should put young people off because sometimes it's very difficult to find relevant human rights programs, especially given the cost and a return on investment, right? Because chances are with a human rights degree, it may be a little bit more difficult to, to find the right opportunity. That being said, of course, I think it's a very good, uh, uh, you know, complementary uh, uh, subject and by all means, I, you know, especially if you want to build that expertise and perhaps even look into PhD and teaching opportunities, that is really important. But I personally don't think it's it's crucial if you have the passion and the right mindset and you're hardworking. So it can be anything from studying political science, international relations, which was my case. I actually studied European foreign policy, for example. Um, so it could be anything that deals with global issues, right? Because at the end of the day, human rights um, are, you know, uh, chances are if you work in human rights, you'll be working you know, with, with international organizations, you'll be working with global stakeholders. So really any humanitarian subject that, that will allow you to, to build on these skills and, and this, this knowledge. Okay, great. I know you also mentioned that you yourself have done two internships. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if people were interested in volunteering yeah. and yeah. also getting involved in internships, yeah. are they ones that you would recommend that stand out to you? Because you, 
obviously. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. certainly. Yeah. So, so obviously the UN runs uh, an internship program. Um, they changed it significantly since the last time, uh, of course, I applied, which was oh, nearly 10 years ago. Now they don't have a general internship program. They have internship programs with their, the specific departments inside the UN where you can apply directly based on your interests. And of course, also with UN agencies. And those are freely available. They recruit, uh, which is actually a good change now on an ongoing basis. In the past, there would be a set period during which interns would be taken. Now it's ongoing based on the specific department's needs. So that's, that's number one. And, and, and the information, of course, is publicly available on the UN website or if it's individual UN agencies, their respective websites. Then, of course, um, we look into internship programs that are uh, run by the rest of the international organizations. So from the Commonwealth to the European Union, um, to the World Bank, to the International Monetary Fund, all of the big organizations have programs. Now, the good news is that some of these programs are paid because they look to develop specifically young professionals. The World Bank has excellent programs. Uh, one is targeting young professionals in particular, and the other program is sponsored by selected member states. Um, and I believe one of the programs looks particularly for representation from underrepresented countries and uh, citizens of developing countries. Um, so obviously the opportunities with the World Bank come under those two streamlined programs. Um, the UN, of course, also runs the uh, Young Professionals program as well. Um, so they have two selected programs. One um, is sponsored by uh, UN member states. So you have to be a citizen of the member state that financially contributes to this program. And then, then you apply and, of course, you're taken on a two-year assignment. The other program is, is, is run of, through a, a targeted examination or a targeted test. And then you can take, if you pass the test, you can apply then for positions within the UN, the UN, which are open only to individuals who have passed this entry-level test. And again, that's for you know professionals who have no no experience. Um, so these are just two examples. But but um, but also, I mean, again, I'm sure that with networking and with reaching out to the right people, you can always find an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Nothing prevents you from sending your CV and saying, "Well, I looked at." you know, one of your programs, it really appeals to me. This is how I think I can add value if you take me on for three months, for example. Mm -hmm. So with Libro International, this is very much the case. We, you know, uh, take interns on an ongoing basis and we judge which individuals are best fitted depending on their interests, but also what value can they add by coming into LI because of course it's a very small organization and therefore the intern really plays a big part of the day-to-day -day work. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, you know, and again, volunteering opportunities, um, the UN also runs what's called the UN Volunteers Program, mm -hmm. which is actually paid even though it's called Volunteers. And that again is for a set period of time and you can apply for a number of, of opportunities, the majority of which are on the ground. So that is specifically for field work. And again, that is crucial, if, especially for work in human rights. I strongly feel that having field experience is key and it can tip the balance. So let's say you may not have as much experience or maybe you don't have a human rights degree or a relevant degree. But if you've done field experience, that's invaluable because chances are your competition would not have worked in the developing world with communities in need directly. And at the end of the day, that is what we will set you apart because you will have a first-hand uh, experience of the issues as opposed to just desk work. So. I was, I was going to ask, you know, um, what advice you would give to a young person, but I guess you've yeah. just basically given it. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. I think then maybe I, I, the next question would be, 
you know, throughout your years of experience, is there a, a golden nugget, something that you've learned that's so, so crucial to this line of work that you could maybe share or, or pass on? In terms of tips or like yeah, recommendations? Yeah, a, a tip or something or a skill mm -hmm. that you've learned or something that you can share. Um, so I think definitely having a mentor. I, I find that having a, a, a mentor, a career mentor, who can, who can give you advice about your career path, about opportunities and also your professional journey is key. Because at the end of the day, that is a person who is experienced and that, that you trust and that is there to guide you. Um, so finding that individual that, that you really have a connection with, that can, that can use her or his experience to guide your professional path is invaluable. And for me personally, that is what helped my career development exponentially. Um, I mean, when I was doing my undergraduate studies in the US, um, I had a very good uh, mentor was actually my first boss ever. Um, I did an internship with the International Trade Council of Greater Kansas City. And he was someone that up until now remained as a dear friend and mentor. And he helped me basically com comprise my, my professional development path. And, and he was making sure that I was taking advantage of the right opportunities. I was targeting the right employers uh, later on after I finished my internship. Um, and I could always go to him for advice, be it from you know, can you review my application or my CV or can you connect me to the right people in, 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 you know, in this industry? In this case, it was international relations. So I cannot emphasize the importance of having at least one mentor that you can look up to and, and develop this kind of a relationship. Um, Tamara, something we'd all be interested to know is what is your take on human rights globally at the moment? So that's a, quite a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how much time we have. We course. have all the time. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know where to begin. Well, I don't, it's not a secret that we live in times uh, where, you know, liberal values are in decline. And unfortunately, I feel that we have taken a step back from multilateralism, from international cooperation, and with that, from, from human rights. You know, it's been eight years since the conflict in Syria erupted. Now think about that, eight years. The international community has done zero or close to zero to resolve it. Mm. Uh, you know, thousands have died. We have all seen the horrific pictures. Mm. Um, there is now a lost generation. There are Syrian kids that would never go to school. Now think about the impact. That alone gives you an answer to the question where we are with human rights. The fact that the international community can afford another Rwanda, sorry to say, is quite indicative because what is happening in Syria is genocide and no one cares. So that is quite, you know, it, it, it's quite brutal and it's, it's a harsh awakening that not only are we not doing enough, but again, we have seemed to retract it and we have not learned from the mistakes in the past. The UN Security Council, is, is completely, uh, you know, uh, uh, frozen. Um, and as the only international body that can really take any action, uh, including military, to resolve any, any conflicts, um, you know, that, that, that's detrimental to the, to the situation we find ourselves in. Because at the end of the day, and sometimes, unfortunately, that intervention is needed, as in with the case with Syria. Mm. But because of, of course, this balance of world powers, 
you know, no, no action as, as we see up until today has been taken to, to do anything about it. And as I mentioned at the moment, the only you know, instrument we really have as the international community is the Security Council when it comes to such, such um, really you know, ongoing uh, war, war situations. We've seen, of course, the um, uprising of the Me Too movement. Again, why has this evolved? Well, because for too long, women have been quiet about what's been happening behind closed doors, you know, about how not just the way women are treated in society, but also the fact that there is this expectation that they should remain quiet, mm. um, that it's okay, you know, to, 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 to sexually harass uh, uh, women, you know, from, from like, you know, whistling to, to inappropriate remarks, to even to physical, you know, uh, uh, harassment. Abuse, of course, uh, you know, gender-based violence is on the rise. Um, we see, of course, what's happening also with the retraction of civil and political rights around the world, right? And of course, that impacts women more so than men. So I don't, and you know, October is around the corner here in the UK. We're waiting for no deal Brexit. Again, that, that says a lot about the commitment that we have to, you know, uh, international cooperation, multilateralism, and with that, of course, human rights, because that also sends a signal that we don't have trust in uh, European institutions to resolve human rights cases uh, on, on the UK's behalf, let's say. Mm -hmm. uh, right? Um, where are we with legislation? Yes, there is a lot of legislation on human rights, but it's not enforced. Again, we are marking the 25th anniversary of the Beijing platform next year, which, as you know, was the landmark international legislation that finally put uh, an action plan together to tackle uh, uh, abuse of, of women's rights and promote and advance these, these rights. Where are we? We've, we've seen the Secretary General of the UN just released the SDG progress report, and he was quite clear that unless we achieve SDG 5 on gender equality, none of the other SDGs can be achieved. Unfortunately, not only are we not on track to achieve uh, SDG 5 by 2030, we would not even be on track to achieve it by 2060. So that gives you, Scary. you know, that gives you the whole picture. And then, of course, you have the rise of, of far-right nationalism, which only fuels to this debate, right? Um, we see, you know, uh, President Trump in the United States and the rhetoric that he's that he has undertaken, um, you know, the, the, the racist uh, uh, slurs, the, the, the division that he's driving to American society. Mm. We've just witnessed the two attacks in, in yeah. Texas and in uh, Ohio, uh, yeah, Ohio, Ohio yeah. uh, right? And so that doesn't help. We, we see the situation in Hungary, right? We see the situation in Poland. Uh, we see the situation, uh, you know, in, in, in many other countries around the world, Philippines, for example, mm. where democracy is on, on the decline. And so I don't see how we can start to tackle some of these issues unless I think citizens take responsibility to really elect um, leaders who have uh, a vision for an open world, for an open society, for unity rather than division. And I think that is uh, the key uh, issue here and the core of the problem. Because until, uh, you know, uh, people see the future in leaders who divide rather than unite, we will be in a situation where we are still talking about Syria eight years on. Mm. Wow. Absolutely. Um, I get your passion mm. in... Mm all of these subjects. Um, what I want to know is what inspired you to get involved in this area? Again, that's a very good question. Um, as I said, I didn't initially kind of have, I actually wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And um, I did my bachelor's degree in international business, but then I thought, okay, there is more to life than just working for a company that makes money, right? And makes other people rich. 
And um, you know, I I come from a very small country, Bulgaria, which was communist up until 1990, and so I've seen firsthand. Although of course I was only seven when the communist regime fell apart, but nevertheless, uh, you know, I've seen firsthand what what it means to live in in, in a society that limits your freedoms and limits your rights. And um, my mother, in particular, is is quite an, uh, you know an activist. Um, and 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 to be honest, firstly she inspired me because she ran actually as a, as, a, as an independent member of parliament uh, right after the fall of the of the um, communist regime, and, and she was always the first at every single protest against the government, because of course subsequently we were plagued by corrupt governments, as you can imagine, because democracy was was you know quite foreign to, to us. And so her activism really spoke to me. Um, and especially, again, as, as a woman, and, you know, it's, it's your mother. And, and so I, I really looked up to her. And then subsequently, my own experiences as, as, as a child of, of, of the communist era, let's say, coming from a small country, uh, really made me determined to make a difference and use my personal experiences as unfortunate as they may have been to do good. Because I'm actually in quite a fortunate position because I didn't experience communism much and it's if you think about it, it's quite remarkable to be born in a communist mem- country which is now a member state of the european union mm. i mean just think about that and yeah. so that inspired me that anything is possible mm. and 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 only 29 years later yes mm. yes it's and now you know the world is my oyster i mean i can travel anywhere i can do whatever i want you know which wasn't the case with my parents um you know and so I think that really spoke to me and I said, okay, I mean, I have only one life and I need to make the best of it and it's time to give back. Mm. Nice. Um, I mean, social media forms such a, a big part of what we do and what is relevant in the world today. Um, and, you know, you touched on it with, um, with the far right and the populists mm. and etc. What is your take on social media? Is it an added value to the human rights campaign, the the Mm -hmm. fight that I guess uh, people should be taking up? um, Mm -hmm. Or is it a hindrance? What what is your take on social media as a a whole? So I'll give you an answer which you probably won't expect. Both. Because... (laughs) Because... (laughs) (laughs) Because it can be a hindrance, but also it can be a very powerful tool. Mm-hmm. It depends how you use it. Mm. And I'll give you two very clear examples. We've all you know, heard, again, that more and more fake news is taking hold. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, President Trump in the United States likes to drive this you know, uh, idea of, of, of the media misrepresenting his words and the social media re- re- misrepresenting the wor- the, his words and the whole rise of fake news. Where, in fact, he and him and his administrations are the one producing the fake news, right? Mm. And so, in turn... When that is used by social media outlets to promote fake news and and misguided messaging, Mm -hmm. that feeds that rise of uh, far-right nationalism and populism we've seen. Mm -hmm. You've all heard of Cambridge Analytica. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, unfortunately, we have heard of it. We should have never heard of them, Mm -hmm. unless, of course, you were really in that field, but we did. And why? Because they used Facebook, as you know, and they did a lot of campaigning on Facebook, Twitter to drive fake advertisements supporting both Brexit and a Trump. And not only that, they of course um, used personal data mm. f- for purposes that, that they were not allowed to use mm. to begin with. But more importantly, they were aware that they were promoting messaging which was not accurate, right? They were spreading, uh, uh, you know, they were falsifying facts, 
etc. And spreading also the language of hatred, right? There is a very thin line between freedom of speech and hate speech. Mm. Yeah. And the role of social media uh, in that cannot be understated because you also see social media being used by, uh, you know, Al-Qaeda, Hezbollah, mm. uh, the Islamic State. Mm. Where, where, where are the social media actors in that? Why should you allow to live stream on Facebook the shooting of innocent yes. people? Mm. Which we've also seen happen times and times again. And where is the responsibility, right? And we've seen, you know, Mark Zuckerberg testify before the US Congress when uh, this whole Cambridge Analytica scandal came up about. And I think the problem is lack of regulation. Mm. Because as opposed to, you know, uh, mobile phones and the mobile industry, which is regulated, this, you know, social media companies are not. Mm. And so, any, you know, Facebook and Twitter are for grabs, Instagram for that matter. So, so you can perfectly, you know, post your, your, your manifesto, hate manifesto, as we've, mm. as we've seen on Facebook, or live stream a live shooting, and that's okay. Yeah. But the, I guess on the flip side, you, on, could, yeah. you could do something now, great. Like... On the flip side, I'll give you a great example. Uh, obviously, the power of, you know, social media and technology in general to empower you know, civil and political rights is, is unlimited because that is the only way in which you reach people that you won't be able to reach otherwise. Mm. So after the uh, you know, collapse of the regime in Tunisia and with the rise of the Arab Spring, what happened in, in, you know, uh, uh, subsequently is that, of course, they, have, they had to conduct their first free and fair elections. The problem was they couldn't reach the, 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 the population because they didn't know who was A, eligible to vote, and B, how are you going to register people, mm. you know, that, that perhaps may not, not even have a birth certificate and may, mm. may not be even on, on the system, etc. So what they did is they actually partnered with the mobile operator in Tunisia to develop a, 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 an application that would send text messages to all of their customers, encouraging them to register to vote, and of course, informing them of the uh, uh, electoral process. Now, that resulted in more than 80% electoral turnout, turnout mm. subsequently. And that was the only way in which they could reach people of, of relevant age because everyone had a cell phone, right? That's mm. impressive. And so that was a way to use technology to empower and reach people. Mm. Of course, I mean, we, we, we've also heard of, of power of, of, of technology to spread positive messaging, mm -hmm. um, to assist, you know, uh, again, reaching out to, to uh, you know, groups that you wouldn't normally reach out to, especially in rural areas. So I think that, that there are plenty of opportunities, but again, it's, it's how you use it and who uses it, of course. Well, that's very interesting, Tamara. Um, moving on to something that you've alluded to being interested in. I'm not sure if yeah. you're aware, but it's Women's Month in South Africa. Yeah. So what would you say um, is the status of women's rights globally today? That's, again, a very good but tricky question. Uh, because, <laughs> um, you know, uh, I mentioned the Me Too movement mm -hmm. earlier. Mm -hmm. Now, that, again, is for me such a huge testimony as to where we are today, right? Because the very reason that this erupted in such a global scale indicated that women said enough is enough, right? We are sick of this. We need to take charge. We need to take responsibility for our own futures and we need to change the world. And to be honest, that is probably the single-handedly one of the most successful campaigns short of, you know, when, when, when women around the globe were given the, the, the universal right to vote. And of course, there are still a few countries where women are not allowed you know, to, to, to vote, but there are very few, and there's, mm. there's exception to that, of course. 
But overall, you know, nowadays, most women can, can freely vote. And so for me, that was really a powerful message of how you know, one individual who started this can really inspire the world. That being said, of course, uh, you know, looking, of course, into the situation in, in, in South Africa in particular, it is shocking that, that 50% of the South African women, for example, have been uh, uh, victimized, right, and have become uh, uh, victims of, of gender-based violence. And that is, unfortunately, the number one uh, uh, violence committed against women, particularly intimate violence, what we call intimate violence. So violence committed by an intimate partner to the woman or someone close to her. I don't have to remind you, of course, of what happened with, with the Pistorius case in mm -hmm. South Africa, which was quite, you know, uh, uh, predominant and famous for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. But that, I think, also sends a very clear message that violence applies to everyone across the board. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, if you're famous or non-famous, um, you know, or what your ethnicity background is. Violence against women can affect any woman, anywhere. And so I think, you know, that is something that unfortunately is also driven by social norms, right? Skewed social norms around what is the role of, of a woman in, in, in a society. And we still, to this day, we are battling against traditional, uh, uh, you know, un understandings about what it is a woman should and shouldn't do, right? Mm. Because it all starts with how you raise a young girl, mm. but also how you raise a young boy, mm. because that boy will end up later on treating you know, the women in his life, right? Mm. As a grown man. Specific way. In a specific yeah. way. And I think what's missing from the conversation is the role of men. Where are mm. the men? Because we are preaching to the converted. Mm. Iceland, uh, you know, drove a fantastic initiative with he for she, right? And we saw the momentum there with the barbershop conference. And we saw the, 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 the drive to, to bring male leaders together to discuss women's rights. But that is just the start. We need to involve men in every conversation. So going back to the situation in South Africa, we need to involve the men in the conversation of how, how have we ended up, A, with 50%, you know, uh, 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 statistics, which is quite high, mm. but also how can we change the, the societal norms? And I suppose in the African context, I find this very tricky because you're dealing not just with a situation on a national level, but you also have different tribes. So how do you appeal to the understandings and the customs in that particular demographics, mm -hmm. right? So how do you uh, uh, drive the point that it's not about culture and customs, it's about human rights. Mm. Girls should not be circumcised. Mm. That is not about becoming a woman. Mm. It is simply wrong for on health grounds, right? And, you know, and they're not just countries in Africa that circumcise girls, mm. Asia, of course, yeah. etc. So. So for me, that is, I think, a big challenge. And how do you draft this message? And how do you work across the board? How do you work with companies, with social media, uh, you know, and, and media in general to change the messaging around these issues? Because for me, it's also, you know, why should women always be sexualized? Why should advertisements always sell more if you have a semi-naked woman on the page of a magazine or billboard? Mm. Why is that, right? Because you are sending the wrong message that this girl or this woman is, is you know, it's good enough to be a model or, you know, to be a, you, you, your, your face on, on the photo of a magazine, but not good enough to be a lawyer, an engineer, uh, you know, whatever it may be, the next, the next president. So it starts with that. Everyone has responsibility. And I don't think it's just job of governments or international organizations. It's private sector, you know, individual citizens, uh, society at large, 
and of course uh, you know then working working collaboratively across the board on on that point mm-hmm. um, I'm going to be slightly tricky yeah. with this yeah. question so do you think mm-hmm. that um, Africa and mm-hmm. the West have slightly different challenges I know you've mentioned mm-hmm. tribal thoughts yeah. on yes. from an African perspective mm-hmm. with advertising do you think that's just uh, mm-hmm. European or it's also advertising in Africa and other continents mm-hmm. um, what are your thoughts around that are they are there themes that you see mm-hmm. I guess in the Western world versus yeah. Africa or Asia yeah so I think you know the first important thing that I think uh, has to be mentioned is that women's rights violations happen everywhere yeah and I hate when when you know uh, and unfortunately the West seems to do that more often when they say it's an African problem or it's an Asian problem and we in Western Europe or the North America are perfect quite the opposite I mean there are just as many violations happening in the West as elsewhere but they're just different kinds of violations right mm. because perhaps in established democracies you have stronger um, stronger uh, constitutions which allow stronger protection of your rights but then you may have you know but you still face discrimination you, you still face sexual harassment mm. you still f- f- face the, the, the possibility of being abused on the street or being raped or, or murdered because you're a woman that doesn't change regardless of where you are mm. I just think it's a matter of what are the protections that are you know, embedded in the legal system that at least you can refer to, right, as a, as a woman. Mm. And so I think rather than dividing it as a, you know, West versus Africa, Asia, is, I would argue, established democracies versus developing democracies and mm. autocracies. Because if there is no, no legal framework, then you don't even have a chance to, you know, seek any, any protection or, 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 you know, even begin to contemplate how you can campaign to change change these issues Absolutely. right because you don't have the the the, the, the protection and, and because society essentially is against you uh, you know and Africa in particular faces a number of issues because of course first and foremost we know that the most uh, vulnerable you know section of, of any society is are what women and, and children mm. and so also uh, you know women are the ones that that, that suffer most in, in situation where you find yourself in poverty, right? And unfortunately, Africa is still plagued by large percentages of, of, of poverty. Mm. And women's are the, women are the ones that suffer the most, and girls, right? Also, if you think about lack of education, um, the percentage of uneducated girls that, that you see in Africa compared to, to other, other uh, parts of the world is also very un- unproportionate. Yes, everyone celebrates the fact that Rwanda has 64% of women in parliament, but then, in and of itself means nothing because A, Rwanda is a small country and B, the reasons why they have more men, uh, women's apologies in parliament than men is because of course, uh, uh, because of of course what, what happened in the country, there were simply more, more women, right? Because the men were, were simply killed. And so, and so there are a number of, of, of reasons there. And yes, it's a positive development, but having more women in parliament means nothing if those women are not driving the necessary legislative reforms. And very often I find, um, especially now I'm putting my political hat back on with my political background from Liberal International, a lot of the times women, even when they're in power, are put to work on uh, uh, issues that are traditionally considered more appealing to women. Mm -hmm. Oh, why don't you be the Minister for Women's Affairs? Or why are you not a member of parliaments? You know, why as a woman you should be sitting on the the parliamentary committee on, on human rights? or the Parliamentary Committee on, on Social and Cultural Issues, 
why are women not nominated to be ministers of defense mm. or sit on ministers of interior affairs exactly. where you can really make a difference and mm. I find that infuriating and again that is because we're still battling against the same social norms and mm. understandings of what it means to be a man versus what it means to be a woman because at the end of the day women are trying to take away the power from men mm. I hate to say it but it is as simple as that so you're basically struggling to shift the balance to where you know for generations it has been men and now all of a sudden women have have finally woken up and said yes we want to take our rights back we want to take a step forward and we want a chunk of the pie and of course <laughs> men don't want to give it back and so that's why it's this constant back and forth and so you know i find that really at the bottom of of, of the issues mm. and wow. something that needs to change and i mean you know we've we've mm-hmm. spoken about uh, we've spoken about all of these mm-hmm. topics and you know mm-hmm. back to i guess the beginning for a young person listening mm-hmm. in on this podcast um human rights is so big mm-hmm. so many so many facets that they could go into but at the end of the day um you know you could be a lawyer and focus on human rights you could be a social media influencer and be passionate mm-hmm. about uh you know women's rights or etc etc et what you know what sort of advice do you have for a young person listening in mm-hmm. maybe you know to really make a choice wherever they might go you know mm-hmm. within this series we're offering so many different um uh career paths that you could potentially follow mm-hmm. but i guess at the end of the day whatever they make as mm-hmm. a choice what would be your advice to bring them back to whatever they might do outside of mm-hmm. human rights to br- but but bring them back what would be your advice to them mm-hmm. so depending on you know what career path they follow what what would be your so advice? i think again you can work on these issues and not you know have this as your day-to-day uh, job, job right yeah and i just mentioned women in politics i cannot emphasize the importance of a having young people in politics and be having more women in politics mm. because whether we like it or not participating in in politics uh and in the more importantly the, the, the democratic process is the s- number one most important uh, a way of making an impact right because unless you're part of the system it's very difficult to, to change to change yeah. it you must be at the table exactly mm. and women are not at the table mm. so and again not just appealing to women young men as well I think it's crucial that firstly everyone exercises their right to vote and we've seen unfortunately a, a retraction to that especially in 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 societies where you can afford to have the luxury of living in a democracy and you stop caring about your rights right mm-hmm. so I think we need to get more young people to the to the to the to the uh, you know uh, voting votes uh, uh, but also find a way to participate actively in your community whether you know maybe you want to join the youth uh, wing of your of, of the political party you affiliate with fantastic maybe you want to join a civic organization that fights for civil and political rights and human which are of course human rights, human rights yeah maybe you want to you know volunteer and help support other uh, democracy initiatives you know you can be a blogger you can write articles you can appeal but for me really that is that is crucial because at the end of the day uh, again that's the only way really to 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 have an impact um you know and it doesn't have to take that much time i mean you can you know you can always find a way to support such initiatives and not really invest yeah. that much time 
That was really nice. Thank you. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, my final question for you tomorrow, at least during the, this podcast, is what do you see as the future of human rights, given mm. you've just said there are goals that we won't reach by 2060. We've got Trump mm. doing what he's doing yeah. in the US and everything else happening around. What do you see as the future of human rights? Um, so I, I'm worried. I'm not going to lie. I'm worried because let's think about how we started on this journey, right? The reason why we have the United Nations and why we have the European Union and other organizations of this kind is because for far too long, humans resolved their problems by fighting with one another. Mm. And finally, the world community was sick of these wars and said, right, we need to have world peace. Let's set up the UN. In the case of the European Union, same thing. Two world wars, right? So let's finally start cooperating and stop fighting. Mm. The problem is, as we are now, of course, on a decline, and we are retracting from this. I see a retraction subsequently from human rights. This may change, but for the immediate future, I actually see a decline because we've seen times and times again, the outrageous actions and, and, and words that have come from the leader of supposedly the most powerful country in the world. And that has not shaken his electoral support base by a millimeter, mm. not at all. People love that, and they're going to re-elect him. So again, it's because fear appeals to people in a time when we are facing economic challenges. Mm. And it's very easy when you're poor to blame your neighbor for being poor, or the immigrant, or whoever, right, the newcomer. And so I feel that that is a massive challenge that perhaps, and now I speak again as with my political hat on as a liberal, you know, liberals are also at fault at. Because I think for far too long the elite was, 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 was kind of, you know, disconnected from what's happening on the ground. And there was no effort really to, to, to understand what, what, you know, common people face in terms of day-to-day -day challenges. Which is why, of course, we also find ourselves uh, on the verge of Brexit. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, how can a someone who lives, you know, in, in the countryside, who, who, who earns very little, see the positives in, in, in an EU national coming over and, you know, supposedly taking his or her job? Although, you know, I think it's all about supply and demand. So personally, I don't believe this argument. But nevertheless, for this person who hasn't seen anything else but his own surroundings, it's very difficult to believe in multilateralism, in international cooperation, and how free trade is actually of benefit, right? And why you shouldn't, as a farmer, be protective of your own on, 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 on kind of producing field, etc. So, uh, you know, I find that we need to work harder at spreading this message of unity, of why, of course, you know, it's important to, to drive forward, uh, you know, liberal values such as human rights, such as democracy, mm -hmm. uh, such as openness. Uh, and again, that falls on, on each of us. So I think, you know, perhaps if we reach a breaking point, but as we know throughout history, usually that means, you know, a major incident. I don't see how we can, you know, revert this inevitable process that we have embarked on. Because the problem is the free world is shrinking. If, if you lose the US, and to an extent if you lose the UK, who is left, mm. right? I mean Germany, but Germany cannot carry the entire world on mm. its shoulders. And so who is going to be the new leader of the free world, right? And that is what personally scares me. Who is going to protect global, uh, you know, uh, human rights globally? I mean, not to say, of course, that the US or the UK are not, you know, uh, uh, let's say, perpetrators of human rights violations mm. on, the, on the opposite. They are, but... At the end of the day, 
they have also done enough to you know enough to 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 deserve this title of of defenders right of of of, of some sort of liberal liberal values so that that's what worries me the most wow i wanted to also just add one more thing mm-hmm. yeah, sure. from what you've said mm-hmm. i what i get is um we can all contribute and most importantly we can create unity and create bridges amongst mm-hmm. nations mm-hmm. and i guess for the students listening is that we can you know find your passion what you're passionate about um and you can contribute in whatever sphere you're mm-hmm. in and get involved really with yeah. them yeah. absolutely yeah. And i think the most important message if i can send to young people is don't be complacent mm. don't yes. close your eyes because that is why we are in the situation we are now because people didn't vote uh, you know when when they had to vote for the Brexit referendum, people didn't go out to vote when they had to in the states. People didn't go out to vote, you know, in, in South Africa, wherever it may be. Uh, uh, and so I cannot emphasize enough the importance of that. And actually, I do look up to South Africa as such an inspirational story. I mean, you had someone like Nelson Mandela who didn't give up. He didn't want to give up. That is such a powerful message because can you imagine what would have happened if he did? Mm. Yeah. Right. And so, but also the importance is there. He wasn't alone. Right. I mean, there were people who believed in his cause and who supported Mm -hmm. him throughout the way and who didn't look like him. Mm -hmm. And I think that is also an important message that sometimes is is very easily forgotten. Mm. Right. And young people were involved. uh, We also have June 16 where we recognize young people's involvement. Exactly. So don't be complacent. Uh, I just want to thank you, Tamara, on behalf of us at Foot in the Door. Um, from Clara, Masichaba and myself, thank you very much. And um, yeah, I hope uh, that the listeners, um, the young people listening to this podcast really take value from today's session. Um, and hopefully with that information, you go ahead and uh, you make your career choice. Mm-hmm. But always the underlying pinning message mm-hmm. is don't forget about human rights, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. So thank you all. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you.